All right. Well, good morning, everyone. Hello. <laughs> wow, thank you. Um, this, uh, this, this message has been something that, uh, God's been kind of working on in me for, for years. And so it's, uh, it's a privilege for me to get to finally speak this out. And, uh, you know, a lot of it, as many of you know, uh, you know, my wife, Jenny, she's pregnant and she is pretty much due any day, any day, (laughs) some, some in the place know the feeling. Yeah, so if I get a phone call and if I leave right now, you'll know why. Um, but, you know, it's, it's very exciting. So there's just this anticipation that's built up. There's this, there's this expectancy, you know, and like kind of like, all right, don't know what's going on. Just, just kind of hanging around, just, uh, you know, waiting for the, for the phone call or waiting, you know, just for my wife to say, okay, we're going. And, you know, we're, we're there. So it's, it's exciting. And there's definitely the uh, anticipation with that. And, um, and as I'm going to, you know, speak on, the getting there was, was interesting for, for both of us. And uh, in light of what Jeremy uh, preached on, how many here were here when Jeremy preached on suffering? That was amazing. And uh, thank you, Jeremy. That was an awesome, awesome word. And uh, so I'm going to piggyback uh, off of that a little bit uh, with the topic of waiting, or what I've entitled today's sermon, Patient Endurance. And... Um, you know, the, the passage that Jeremy read out of, out of Romans 5, where, you know, suffering leads to endurance, and endurance to character. I mean, you know, this, just perseverance, hope. This God, God is a God of process. <laughs> That's a tough word to hear. He is a God of process. And, and it's interesting. And I'll, well, I'm going to get into this. But the, the fact that life is a marathon, it's a journey, it's... It, it, there, there's just so much to walk out in the Christian life. And it's, it's unfortunate because even as we talked in the Radical series uh, quite a bit, you know, we talked about the American dream, American culture, Western civilization, Western society. And the, the truth is that our American culture is not, is not typically based on waiting. <laughs> waiting is not a high value in America. It's not. And we, we are, I mean, you could basically call us an instant society. Uh, you know, there's this r- book written by an author called James Gleek entitled Faster, the Acceleration of Just About Everything. And in this book, James Gleek, he gives some really interesting examples of how everything in contemporary society uh, has accelerated. I, and uh, as I'm reading this, it's like um, reading some of the, even the comments on it. It's like, did you even know that there are one-minute bedtime stories? One-minute bedtime story for busy parents, of course. You know, it's, I mean, uh, you know, and it's just like, I can't even imagine that. It would be like the, you know, thinking of the typical bedtime story. I mean, the story of the three bears. Nope, one bear, and the bear ate porridge and uh, liked it, and the the end, you know. Um, You know, it's like Hansel and Gretel. Nope, not anymore. It's just Gretel. Need to get to the end. Sorry, child that I love. Um, Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. Nope, no dwarves. No dwarves. You just get Snow White. The Snow White meets the prince. They kiss. The end. And now maybe you have 15 quality seconds to pray with your child before you go and watch your TV show that you DVR'd already or something. It's like everything's just fast-paced. One-minute bedtime story. How, How wild is that? And see, the thing is, is nowhere do we find this uh, instant society shown more in, in the U.S. Than, than our two 
greatest national obsessions? What do you, what do you think those two are? Got some good ones here. How about get rich quick and losing weight? All right? I mean, how instantly, like, there are, there are like, books that are titled, like, you know, uh, open the book and you instantly lose nine pounds. I mean, it's like, they, like, give some, like, crazy promises that, you know, like, you know, be, how to become a millionaire in 10 days. I mean, it's, I, don't, I don't see how that works. I mean, it's just like, how instantly can you lose weight other than, uh, you know, hard work and exercise or changing your diet? <laughs> I mean, you never, you never see any book that's titled something like, 10 difficult steps on disciplining yourself to accumulate wealth slowly. You know, it's just that that wouldn't sell. And and the government, the government even endorses this get rich quick idea and giving us the blessing known as the lottery. Right? Okay, it's you know and and I mean talk about get rich quick. Talk about the idea of oh, if I just win, I'm 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 settled. I'm taken care of and and I did hear this quote somewhere where someone actually said, the lottery is the only place where your chances of winning are the same if you buy a ticket or you don't. I'm like, that sounds about right. You know, and, you know, seriously, though, but we want it now. I mean, we, we actually live in a time and a place where you can go to the same place for the sake of convenience, and you can, uh, you can go get cough medicine, an LCD TV, bath towels, a coffee, uh, your weekly groceries and snow tires at midnight. It's too much to go to different stores. <laughs> I didn't say what it was. So, I mean, but in radical contrast to our society, the, the Bible presents us with a God who makes us wait. And, and if you want to meet the real God, if, you know, not, not the God that, that's packaged and sold... <laughs> In many churches, you know, if you, if you want to meet the real God who doesn't conform to American ideals and thoughts and thinking, you'll discover that this God operates by a completely different clock than we do. He operates by completely different methods than how we would think God should do, do it, right? And so he continuously makes us wait and wait, and it's tough. And, but if you want real communion with God, you will have to learn to wait. You'll have to learn to wait. And so I'd like to turn to God's word. We're going to read in Psalm 40 today. And um, I am reading out of the ESV, and uh, Casey's going to put up the scriptures for you if you don't have that in front of you. And if you need a Bible, there are Bibles over there. And if you don't have one, please take it home. But we're going to turn to Psalm 40, and as we do that, I just want to pray. Father, I pray that your word would sink deep into our spirits today. Lord, I ask that you would come and that your word would speak even for itself, even as I speak, oh God. I pray, Holy Spirit, as I'm speaking, you would speak to the hearts of men and women in this place, that your word would go out, Lord, that my words, whatever they may be, they may be few. Lord, I pray your words would be more, they would be impacting. And God, that we would just really dig into this and, and hear what you have to say. I pray people be open to hearing your word today in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're starting right at verse 1 of Psalm 40. It says, To the choir master, a psalm of David. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, 
a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I have come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me. I delight to do your will, O O my God. Your law is within my heart. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me, and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, Aha! Aha! But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, Great is the Lord. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O my God. Now this psalm right here, this is, this is how I would break up this passage of Scripture. I'd break it up. It would be two parts. The first would be verses 1 through 10. So if you're outlining or you've got that in your Bible, maybe you might want to make a note. Verses 1 through 10, I would, I would title it, I waited and he heard my cry. Verses 1 through 10, I waited and he heard my cry. In verses 11 through 17, the second portion, it would be titled, I waited again. Because you never get done waiting. It's not like you reach a certain point in life and you just stop waiting. I mean, you wait and you wait again. And the psalm, it's interesting. I was talking about this with Dick uh, yesterday. Is like the, the, the first verse in this psalm, it's kind of cool. The, the Hebrew, it doesn't actually read, I waited patiently for the Lord. All right? This, the Hebrew word for waiting, kava, it's, it's actually read like this. I kava, kava. So you could say, I waited, waited. And the Message Bible actually says it this way. I waited and I waited and I waited for the Lord. Emphasis. So, so we know what the, what the theme of this psalm is. I waited for the Lord. It's about waiting. So now, I have this basic assumption of, you know, God, God's ways in my limited stature. But from reading God's word, from pastoral care and life in general, you know, meeting with people, working with people, and just um, seeing how God moves in us, I, I have this basic assumption that God uses two, two methods above all others to reform us, to shape us, and to mold us into the image of his son. Because that's what this process of life is. He's, he's trying to make us more like Jesus. That's what it's about. It's about making us more like his son. And so when God 
chooses to change a person, he uses pain and waiting. He does. He uses suffering and waiting. This is not American packaging. This is biblical. This is biblical. And see, now if you ask people, what is it, if I would ask you, what is it that turned you around? Why did you choose to become a follower of God? What was it like? I mean, you probably weren't interested in Christ at a point in your life, and then all of a sudden you were a follower of Christ. What turned that around? What was the, what was the turning point for you? And I, I think the majority of times you'd find that people will say it's either there was some kind of pain or suffering or waiting, something, something that they just couldn't overcome. Something that was so, um, it was just too tough to deal with alone, and, and we had issues that couldn't be solved. And, and Jeremy recommended this two weeks ago. He, he uh, you know, had said, um, you know, he'd mentioned the book Authentic Faith by Gary Thomas, which is a book, if you want to read more on these types of disciplines and how to respond to them, it's a great, it's probably one of my top three books I've, I've ever read. It's Authentic Faith by Gary Thomas. And in this book, Gary Thomas, he tells us that most of our growth is not a product of what we initiate. So you can get many books that will tell you, oh, well, to grow in the Christian walk, you, you pray, you worship, you fellowship, you have time with the Lord, you, um, you, know, you give, you, you, uh, you know, serve. And, and so these are all things that you can initiate. You know, these are things that you do as a good Christian. But what about things like suffering and mourning? and waiting, and hope. Like, these are things that God, it's, it's God. It's God that he is completely in control of some of these things, and God uses these things to change us, and, that's, and we grow out of that. And see, we, we go through the pain and the waiting, and it's how you choose to respond to the situation that will determine the, determine the outcome of what growth you'll see in your life. It's how we respond to the adversity that comes at us. And and God's been doing this for many generations. This isn't anything new. Uh, in the book of Genesis, we read about how uh, Abraham had to wait for his firstborn son. Even though God promised him, you will have a son, he didn't tell him it would be another 25 years. How awful is that? You know, because, I mean, in, 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 uh, for us, we would be like, oh, God told me this I'm, any day now. Any day now, it's going to happen. And that's a tough one when you're waiting and you say, well, God said, or did I, did I not hear the Lord right? You start to question, did it, maybe I didn't hear God say that. It's waiting. He delays. And it's tough for us to comprehend. And the children of Israel had to wait 400 years before entering the promised land. I mean, the Jews for thousands of years waited for their Messiah. Waiting, waiting. Creation has been waiting. Creation has been groaning for a long time. Longer than you and I. It's been waiting to be liberated from the bondage that sin put us under. And it's all about waiting. We're waiting for our Messiah. We're waiting for our resurrection bodies. We are, we are constantly called to wait. We wait for the Lord. We even have to wait in marriage. Some, some folks have struggled with the Lord telling us no sex until marriage. That, that's a tough one to broach these days. You know, we have to wait for answers. And we... And the thing is, verse 2, where he says, He drew me up out of the pit of destruction. We find ourselves in a pit. You know, we find ourselves in a pit that we can't get out of. And, and the interesting thing is, we don't know what pit David is writing about. 
kind of leaves it a little vague. I mean, it, I mean, was it the adulterous affair with Bathsheba? You know, was it, was it the fact that he was suffering persecution at the hands of King Saul? Was it, was it the betrayal at the hands of his son Absalom? Was it a chronic illness? I mean, we really don't know, and I'm actually glad that we don't know. I'm glad that we don't know because that means we can wait and we can call on God in our own lives no matter what the pit is. No matter what the pit is, we can call on God and we can wait for him to answer. And, and I would say the pit, if we had to give a general definition of it, I would define it as any situation you fall into that you cannot get out of by self-help. Anything that you cannot change by your smarts, by your social skills, and your contacts you have, your pretty face, whatever it is, nothing you can do will make a difference. That's the pit. That's the pit. No matter how hard you work, no matter what you do, you cannot get out of it. I mean, it could be a physical pit. I mean, we look at the patriarch Jacob. His son Joseph was literally thrown into a pit by his brothers. The prophet Jeremiah, in, in Jeremiah 38, verse 6, it says, So they took Jeremiah, cast him into the cistern of Malchiah, the king's son, which was in the court of the guard, letting Jeremiah down by ropes. And there was no water in the cistern, but only mud. And Jeremiah sank in the mud. What a picture. The pit <laughs> sinking into the mud. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been there? I mean, sinking, sinking down. You know, some of you may feel like you're there right now. You know, you may feel that I'm, I, that's me, that's me. There are two pits. I think God keeps us in waiting where it's, it tests some things about who we are in Christ. And I would say the first one is answers to prayer. Answers to prayer. And if any of you have developed any life of prayer, there is a length of time between when you pray and God's response. And it can be really boring. There can be a level of boredom with prayer. We like, uh, I got kind of bored of that. And it's not immediate. It's not immediate. I mean, anyone who's tried this knows that. Now, sometimes it is immediate. Sometimes. But most times there is a delay and we wait. And we ask God, we say things like this, God, heal now. You know, heal today. Heal today, Lord. My son is going to a youth retreat or my daughter is going to this youth uh, camp and and so radically turn them around this weekend. We give God these deadlines, you know. It's like, you know, we go into an interview for a job. God, let this one be the one. And there is that hope. There is that hope. But we wait. And in the course of waiting, God begins to speak to us. See, this is something I learned as Jenny and I were trying to have children and, you know, many years of this. And what we... What we found out over time was that waiting, see, in waiting, it bubbles to the surface all the beliefs, all the thoughts we have concerning God. It starts to expose what's really there, not what we've been telling people. Not what we've been telling people. Waiting will do that. It'll start to bring it up to the surface like vomit, and you will not even know what rebellion and sin you're really in. You know, we start to say things like this, God, do you even care about me? You know, are you good? You know, are you playing games with me? Are you even concerned with what's going on in my life? Are you a liar? 
we're not even in touch with our own hearts. That's the thing. You see, see, God, the word says God is the one who knows the hearts. He knows the deepest parts of us. And see, God wants to show us what's going on in our hearts. And it's not to play games with you. It's to bring you closer to him so that you will be conformed into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. It's for a purpose. And, and see, God speaks to our hearts and he says, will you forever prescribe to me the methods by which I answer your prayers? We like to dictate who God is and what he will do. That's why prayer is so frustrating when we don't go into it with the right perspective. It can be really frustrating because God's not answering our prayer the way we think he needs to answer it. You know, we say, God, you, God, you know I need a job. Or we'll say, oh, yeah, God knows, you know, and this particular job, I need, I need this job. Amen. Heal this way. Answer my prayer this way regarding this person. Change this person so I won't have to change, Lord. Because they keep pushing my buttons, and I don't want them to push my buttons. And God says, don't trust your prayers. Trust me. Put your faith in me. Put your trust in the Lord. That's prayer. That's frustrating. And there's a second place we wait. Along with answers to prayer, he makes us wait to grow as Christians. And this is a tough one because it's not instant. Again, it's a process. God is a God of process. There, there isn't any pastor who hasn't had an individual come to them and say, I don't know where God is. I've turned my life over to Christ and I'm still struggling. I'm still struggling. And, you know, we, we spent 20 years pounding addictions into our bodies forging our character a certain way, and, and then we experience conviction from the Lord. He speaks to us through his word, and you say, okay, God, I'm ready. I've spent 25 years being an alcoholic or having an addiction to pornography or having an adulterous affair, and I'm ready to change. So why aren't you delivering me now? You know, most of us believe in the zap method of change. Now, the, it, this, is, this is interesting, because when we invite people for prayer, which I will at the end of this, is you know, we aren't necessarily asking God to complete the transaction in five minutes. Now, now, although he can, and we hope that he does, absolutely, absolutely. And, but when we pray for people, counsel people, we love on people, we are inviting them to begin the journey of repentance. We are inviting them to join us as we go through the process as well. We're, we're just as much going through the process. I mean, this happens even in marriage. There are couples who have been fighting for years, backbiting each other, having this ridiculous relationship like dogs and cats and, and having it out, accusing each other. And then they think that if they just send one, their spouse to the pastor, he's going to fix them in one session. You know, it's like, you know, oh, you only spent 10, 20, 30 years doing this. You know, it's like, in one session didn't work. I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing to hear people say, well, marriage counseling didn't work for us. Because the one session we went to, it was a disaster. It's like, you spent how long going through that, and you want it fixed when? It's kind of tough. That's a tough expectation. So, I mean, so churches like us in the vineyard, I mean, we, we face a particular temptation regarding the way we shape Christianity, because not, not every church faces this, but we here do believe and speak about and practice the immediate intervention of God in our lives, right? Okay? We do believe that God suddenly heals. 
that God immediately delivers. We believe he does that. But if we don't pair that message with the fact that you may have to wait, people are going to be disappointed. We're going to have a lot of people disappointed where they're going to think, who is this God that got packaged to me? They told me God does this now. And we're saying, no. God does it now and then. I think the toughest reality that I've ever faced and in, in my own Christian life because I want to change God. God has put such a conviction on me in my life to live a life that is pleasing to him. And I've realized there's not one step to holiness. There's not one step to holiness. That's not the way it works. I mean, an oak tree does not grow in a day. Healing can be a process. It would be great if God did heal you instantly, but it doesn't always work that way. I mean, at least AA is honest with this, where they said it's not one step in recovery. There are 12 difficult steps in recovery. And it's not just going to be done alone. It's going to be done in the context of community. And that's tough for some people, because there's a level of humility that has to come with that that gets exposed when you're going through that slowly. And see, as we commit ourselves to this process, we engage in community, we go through the steps of repentance, we, we do get set on a rock. God does. He lifts us up out of the pit. He sets our feet on a rock. And, and things start to happen. Our marriage gains traction. Our, you know, the job that we needed comes through. But it, it, it all depends on waiting on God, that he would be the one to draw us up out of the pit, that he would be the one to set our feet on the rock, not me lifting myself up and me setting my feet on a rock because if I try to do that, I'm going to end up back in the pit. Or I'm really going to stay there and I thought I was out of it. So how, how should we respond to God while we wait? Verses 4 and 5. Blessed, or actually I'll say verse 4. Trust him. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust. Blessed is the man who makes, their, who makes the Lord their trust. I mean, verse 4 also tells us there are alternatives to trusting God. And says, he says, who does not turn to the proud... Okay, there's always someone coming into your life that's giving you an alternative way of thinking about this. You've got to love the outside input. And it's usually good friends, family that love you. And, you know, they'll come to you and not bringing you anything from the Word of God. They'll say, oh, you're trusting God for your marriage? Look at what's happened. You're stupid. Just leave them. Look at what they've done to you. Look at, look at the godly wisdom in that. You know, you're stupid for trusting in God for, you know, your job that you need. You know you need to fudge your resume a little bit. Blessed are those who don't look to the proud or who turn, turn after a lie. You see, when we're waiting, there's always a temptation to give ourselves to some, I guess you call it like soul-numbing escape. Something to numb us. Something that we don't have to deal with what goes on in us when we're waiting because we don't want to have that feeling anymore. And because we're in so much pain, it's difficult to wait, and so it's excru- excruciating. So we have to numb ourselves in a way. And, and the question would be, do you know what it means to trust Jesus? Do you know what it means? You're not just trusting Jesus as your Savior when you ask him to come into your life to just save you from the wrath of God on the day of judgment. You're also trusting him to be your satisfier. You're trusting him to satisfy you. That means you come to God and you say, I'm empty and I'm in pain. 
God, and I, and I just, I need to learn how to drink from your well. I need to learn to drink from the well that Jesus offers. He says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink, and out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. He can satisfy you. I need to learn to come to Jesus rather than that escape. And so we trust him, but we trust him in the plans he has for our lives. Verse 5. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts towards us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. The thing is, it's he has plans for us. His thoughts towards us. You know, when we're waiting, we think God has no plans for us. We start to question. We start to get the doubt thing going on. And, you know, we just think God's not thinking about us at all. Kind of, it, it gradually goes away from maybe God's thinking of me to I don't think he's thinking about me at all. And, I mean, if you listen to Christian radio or what's going on in the world, I mean, you'd think God is more worried about fulfilling prophecy in the Middle East or something. And it's just like, what's going on? It's like, God's so concerned with this. And the reality is God's thinking about you. His thoughts towards you. His thoughts towards you. And that's hard to believe when you're going through a period of waiting because you have the questions. But the reality is his mind is infinitely abundant concerning his thoughts towards you. When Jenny and I were trying to um, have a child, we were trying to get pregnant, and it was, it was difficult because there were many nights over the course of six years where we would just be up at night crying, asking God, petitioning him, praying, asking God, are you there? Like, did we miss the boat? Was it something we did? did you know, what, what did we do? You know, is, is my situation so little on your radar? Should I be more focused on your kingdom? Is this, what, what is this that I'm going through right now? It's tough. It's tough because at that point, that was probably the most time when, when, you know, struggling to have a child and seeing other folks around us being able to get pregnant. I think that was the time in my life I felt the most human. I felt the most human, like I, it was, it was my pit. I can be here for my wife, but I feel like there's nothing I can do. There's nothing I can do. And so as times like this, you can think, is my situation so little on God's radar? You know, like, do, do you have any plans for me? You know, I had no idea God had a plan for my life fully, but I tell you that God's plan for your life is way better than any plan you could come up with for your own life. Way better, way better. It absolutely is. He's made you for a purpose. He's made you for a purpose. And what God wants to do through you is greater and better and more in line with the way he's weaving life together than anything you could conceive of. Anything. Quickly, and we need to obey him. Verses 6 through 8. It says, In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I have come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. He wants us to trust him, to trust his plan, and then to obey him. He's not looking for religion from us. He's not looking for the sacrifice. Some sacrifice makes the clock go quicker, we think. We think if we do this, maybe we could turn, turn God's wrist a little bit. Maybe he'll do something faster. You know, or, or maybe we can, uh, you know, we can go on a pilgrimage or, or go on a fast to just prove to God how faithful we are to him so that he will answer it quicker. But he's just looking for obedience. And I think what it simply means to obey 
it, it's simply this. You refuse to take control of this area back over. And you release control to God. Because the great temptation when you're waiting is, God isn't doing anything. I've got to grab this by the horns. I've got to take hold of this. You know, God, I'm single. You haven't brought me a Christian wife or husband yet, so I'm going to date outside the faith. I, I think I can find someone, and you're not doing it soon enough, so I'm going to take it into my own hands, or you're not getting a job. Nothing's opening up, so I'm going to fudge my resume a little bit and tell people that I'm better than I am, and I'm going to stop telling the truth because, because, God, you're not doing it quick enough. God, you're not doing it quick enough. And To obey God means you release control to God. You say, God, it's in your hands, and I'm going to do things your way. And if it means waiting, I might have to wait. But I'm, I'm, I'm consistent in prayer, knowing that he will answer and that he will grow me. He will, he will work his purposes out in me. So we trust and obey. It's, I waited, and he heard my cry. I waited again. Verses 11, verse 11 says this. It says, As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me, your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. Uh, verse 17, as for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, oh my God. And see, the thing is with God, you never stop waiting. It's never done. It's not like you can say, okay, God, I learned the lesson. I learned the lesson. Can we please move on to the lesson of how to handle abundant blessings lesson? You know, can we, uh, you know, I, I like, I'd like to the immediate blessing lesson, the wealth ble- lesson, uh, you know, how to handle prosperity lesson. That's the lesson I want to learn today. I want to learn that one. You never get done learning the waiting lesson. Never get done. It doesn't matter how old you are. You're 20 years old. You're 40 years old. You're 60. You're 70. God keeps his people waiting because only in waiting do we learn the hard lesson of trusting God and obeying him. We wait. But, in closing, we as Christians, we don't wait just to wait. We wait in hope. We wait in hope, not in resignation like the world would. We have hope. We know what's ahead of us. And see, we wait with expectancy, knowing that God hears us, that in in the waiting and the trusting him, that he has good plans for us. And we wait for a God who loves us. There's a hope. We wait for a Savior who will come and rescue us. That's the Christian life. And so I'd like to say, if any of you are in that spot where you have been waiting, I'd invite you to come forward for prayer and let God speak to you concerning that because maybe you've been dictating God of how he should or shouldn't do something. And I'd like to just be able to minister with you. Maybe some other folks will come up in leadership who would pray with you. And you know, or it's just beginning that process of learning, okay, God, give me a grace. Give me a peace in the waiting. I need that peace. I need something that I can hold on to, that hope that is before me so that I don't get crushed during this time of waiting because it leads to endurance. It will lead to endurance. It will lead to character. It will lead to perseverance. It will lead to hope. God will bring us there. He is a loving God. He loves you. He has a purpose for you. So we're going to pray for you, and I pray God would do something immediately, and I pray he'd give you grace in waiting. Amen. So come forward if you have any need. Please come forward for prayer.